This is the EPLOG audio experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, The Artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers from some of the top film festivals, musicians, thinkers, defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences. And also we have tied up with Epilog Media, the podcasting network. So you can find us on their website, epilogmedia slash the artist. And of course, you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to GeoSavan to Google Podcast. Everything is mentioned in the description. And of course, you can reach us uh, on the WhatsApp number and our email ID. I'm your host, Suchita, and I'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you. Have you ever wondered if the silent films had music? Because, well, there were silent films. Those who don't, then yes, there was music in silent films when the audience watched, but that music was live, almost like the theater. So how precise it had to be. And playing that live music was one of the kid, a 16, 17-year-old kid called Lee Irvin, who was getting fascinated with silent films. Lee Irvin was a theater organist who later became a composer and is considered as the greatest artist of silent film accompaniment and an artist who is singularly responsible for the genre revival and a revival in the interest in silent films. He scored for more than 70 silent films, all original compositions, which included Buster Keaton films, Mary Pickford films, Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ, 1925 and more. So how did he do that and why is he considered one of the most important artists that we should listen and remember. We're going to talk about this and more in the snacky 92nd episode of our podcast, The Artist, with me, Suchita, dedicated to Lee Irwin, the forgotten artist, who we lost on September 21st, a couple of days back, but in the year 2000. Irwin was an American who was trained in France under French musicians where he actually honed his skills. His career began as an organist accompanying first-run silent films in 1920s. So a very young Lee Irwin, when he was 16, 17 years old, was already playing with the orchestra and he wanted to become a serious musician. And also in order to earn extra money during his school years, Irwin played the organ seven nights a week in two local movie theatres. And at that time, theatre organists of the silent films were paid very well. So he actually went off to France from the year 1929 to 1931 to learn under French musicians and to hone his skills. When he was back to the US in 1931, he was trained, he was experienced and he got better opportunities to work as a musician. But by 1931, the sound film era had begun and so Everything was forgotten about the silent film era. People were moving forward and radio had taken a prominence as much as the sound films. And with the radio, 
hold your breath daily soaps on radio had begun the 15 minute duration from which came the now daily soaps as we call them because they were primarily sponsored by soap brands so with the advent of the radio organists like lee successfully transitioned to radio the soap opera organist was a direct descendant of organist or a pianist who provided music for the silent films almost like what's happening in the podcast space a direct descendant from radio to podcast but of course lee irvin had retained his tremendous love for silent films that he had gained exposure to while he was growing up so while he was having a very successful career in radio the year 1967 so a big transformation one of the transformation that was happening was that in the 1960s there was an active preservation movement for silent films just like now when we see an active preservation of film the 35 mm 16 mm films because we know that it's going to get lost to the coming generation no one would know how films look like a similar movement had begun in the year 1960s when suddenly people woke up to the fact that everyone was forgetting about silent films it was also around that time that Irvin was commissioned by the American Theatre Organ Society to compose organ music for Gloria Swanson's film Queen Kelly of course Gloria Swanson was a star as we all know her from Sunset Boulevard of my favorite Billy Wilder films it's the pictures that got small so that was one of the big breaks for Leo Vin to come back into silent film accompaniment but this time he was not coming back just as an organist he was coming back as an original composer so the screenings what really happened was that they used to show the film then the star of the film used to be present there and there was music from the likes of Lee Irvin and Lee Irvin of course was a prominent figure so imagine the nostalgia coming back at you when suddenly you're offered to play for a silent film that you grew up with suddenly everything coming back how can you not take that offer so the advertisements for these shows ran like this We are proud to announce to you in advance of our public advertising that on Monday evening, May 8th, at the Beacon Theatre, we will present Gloria Swanson in person in an unusual silent film and theatre organ show from silence to sound with famous NY chapter member Lee Irwin. The NYT Times also says that Gloria Swanson was thrilled by this performance and she wrote back to Lee Irwin saying that, Dear Mr. Irwin, I have heard nothing but the most fulsome praises for your performance Monday night. It was a two de force on all grounds. I look forward to hearing the tape one quiet evening when things are not as hectic as they were the other night. Meanwhile, I want you to know how much I appreciate the labor and love that went into bringing Queen Kelly to life the way it was meant to be seen. Now, of course, the composition was Lee Irvin's original composition and not the one that perhaps would have been used around that time. This one offer snowballed into multiple offers that started coming Lee Irvin's way and suddenly he was the most wanted 
person. Irwin and Swanson toured various theatres throughout the country during 1975 with the same films and the general format. Lee Irwin also had huge improvisational talent. In fact, if you see his cue sheet, you can see the amount of composition that he had done versus the amount of improvisation that he was going to do while he was composing. Like for example, the Buster Keaton comedy Steamboat Bill Jr., the cue sheet says that 51 minutes and 35 seconds of improvisation was there in a total running time of 72 minutes. And in Queen Kelly, 14 minutes and 5 seconds of improvisation was there in 23 minute score. Besides improvisations, the second unique feature of Irvin's compositions were that the silent film music should be original compositions rather than the cue sheet compilations of classical and popular tunes. Now what particularly happened was that during those times, 1920s, while the live orchestra was playing with the silent movie, most of the compositions used were classical and popular tunes which nobody could have possibly recognized because of course there was no internet nobody could recognize that okay a moonlight sonata was being used or a particular popular beethoven was being used but everything was being used without the knowledge of the audience just to keep them hooked but Irwin was not a believer of using such a classical music he wanted everything to be suave and sophisticated to advance the screen drama in the 1981 new york times article Irwin paints a very unflattering picture of these amateur organists. He writes that I'm sure that most of the silent film accompaniment was simply atrocious. Classical organists looked down their noses at the theatre organists. Most of the movie house instruments were played by the local pianist who had never seen the film and could barely improvise. Now Irwin, who referred to these theatre organists as retreated pianists, also notes that these musicians simply weren't capable of composing or compiling film scores. And also around that time, amateur musicians were frequently hired to provide music in order to mask the sound of the film projector rather than provide a score for the film played popular songs throughout the presentation regardless of the film's dramatic structure. And also, they relied heavily on cue sheet accompaniments and books of suggestion from classical repertoire. It is this respect for silent films as an art form that is the foundation of Irwin's compositional ideas. Irwin's reverence for silent film led him to dismiss the use of published cue sheets from the silent film era and he felt that the musical suggestions contained within these cue sheets were full of musical cliches of the 1920s and to modern audiences this music sounded like it was smoking fun at the film. Also the New York Times interview mentions that Urban always underlined the fact that he never used recognizable classical themes like in the old days organists would use themes from Tchaikovsky, Brahms, Greeks and of course nobody wrote better storm music than Beethoven. So of course by 1964 people were more aware about the classical music. So his compositions were becoming popular, he was becoming a popular person. So by 1979 
He had played for 441 performances of films featuring Chaplin, Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton. And as New York Times mentions that during his long career he composed for everything from comedies by Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin to epics by D.W. Griffith to classics like Lon Chaney's 1923 version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. 1980 saw the era of video cassette recorders and a lot of silent films were released on VHS format. So the films at that time again needed music and companies hired Lee Irvin to provide scores for the video recordings and lot of Lee Irvin scores have been preserved on the VHS and DVD. Lee Irvin always believed that sound should never call for attention from the picture. It's always a compliment after a film when people come up and say you know i completely forgot that you were playing you must be doing something right if the music is so integrated with what's going on in the film and its dramatic structure this is one principle that is applicable as long as visual storytelling lives leovan died in the year 2000 at the age of 92 all the information the dates the anecdotes have been sourced online from wikipedia new york times essay by Michael Thomas the Leovin collection and a couple of random internet searches if there is any discrepancy you can point it out to us and you can write to us thank you and have a great weekend